us turn together in our Bibles to Romans chapter 14, verse 1. As for the fifth Sunday now, we are in this passage of Scripture about issues of gray. Issues of gray being those issues in life, those matters in Scripture that are neither condoned nor condemned. I told you when we began this passage a month ago or so that we would find in these first 12 verses of Romans 14 six facts about these issues of gray. And we have already covered four of those facts. The first fact that we discovered was that issues of gray include a number of subjects. In the passage itself, there were issues of gray that this church was dealing with and that other churches of that day dealt with. Issues like what was acceptable to eat and what wasn't. Issues like, what can we do on the Sabbath and what can't we do? Are the Old Testament laws governing the Sabbath still applicable in the era of the the New Covenant? Later on in chapter 14, we haven't gotten to it yet, but in the latter half of the chapter, the subject of alcohol comes up. There are other subjects in the rest of scripture and then there are other subjects that we could include in this area issues of gray from our lives and our day the second fact that we looked at was that issues of gray reveal those who are weak and strong in the faith now note I did not say it reveals those who have weak faith and strong faith Instead, it reveals those who are weak in the faith and those who are strong, or at least in some areas, stronger in the faith. To have a faith that would be weak in the faith in this context would refer to someone who doesn't have freedom in the gospel to do things that maybe Scripture doesn't forbid. And therefore, in this context, to be strong in the faith would be one that because of their faith in Christ, their understanding of justification by faith may have a freedom to do some things that Scripture doesn't condemn, but that other Christians would condemn. The bigger point in fact number two was that those who are weak in the faith must not criticize or condemn those who are stronger in the faith or in these certain areas stronger in the faith. And the command to the strong was that the stronger in the faith must not look down on or think less of those that are weaker in the faith. Last Sunday morning, we looked at fact number three. It was that issues of gray are not a cause for breaking fellowship. And I took that from the first part of verse 1, which says, except anyone who is weak in the faith. And that word except would mean to accept as a brother or a sister, except as a fellow member of the body of Christ. So we said that issues of gray are not a cause for breaking fellowship, although historically, 
and even currently many times these issues are the cause for fellowship individually or fellowship from group to group being broken fact number four we also covered last week it is that issues of gray are not a cause for argument they're not a cause for judgments being made in particular judgments about the motives that other professing believers have in feeling the way that they feel about these issues of gray they're not a cause for us to separate from one another that brings us today to the final two facts that we're going to find in these first 12 verses of the chapter but before we get to them let's read again the passage beginning in verse 1 follow along with me as I begin to read there it says that we're to accept anyone who is weak in faith or weak in the faith but don't argue about doubtful issues one person believes he may eat anything but one who is weak eats only vegetables one who eats must not look down on one who does not eat and one who does not eat must not criticize one who does because God has accepted him who are you to criticize another's household slave before his own Lord he stands or falls and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand one person considers one day to be above another day someone else considers every day to be the same each one must be fully convinced in his own mind whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the Lord whoever eats eats for the Lord since he gives thanks to God and whoever does not eat it is for the Lord that he does not eat it yet he thanks God for none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself if we live we live for the Lord and if we die we die for the Lord therefore whether we live or die we belong to the Lord Christ died and came to life for this that he might rule over both the dead and the living but you why do you criticize your brother or maybe we could read it this way but you why do you still criticize your brother in light of the things that we've just read in the preceding verses or you why do you look down on your brother why do you still look down on your brother for we will all stand before the tribunal of God for it is written as I live says the Lord every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God so then each of us will give an account of himself to God we pick up this morning with the fifth fact that we find in this passage about these issues of gray and it is that issues of gray must be decided by each Christian's conscience. Issues of gray must be decided by each 
Christian's conscience. When it comes to these matters that the Bible doesn't explicitly deny or affirm, how then are we as individual Christians to make decisions on whether they are right or wrong? There are two ways that the Bible teaches us that we are to make these decisions. Two things that we are to consider as we come to our conclusion. The second of those we will get to beginning next Sunday morning in the latter half of this chapter. But the the first way that we are to come to our own determination about these issues of gray has to do with our own conscience. If God hasn't spoken specifically about it, we begin to make our decision by listening to that internal voice that God has given to each one of us that's a part of having been made in His image. And we listen for what does it say about it. Is my conscience telling me that it would be okay for me to do this? Or when I consider doing this, is my conscience going off like an alarm system that's been tripped? Can I do this in good conscience? Can I do this without second thoughts or without doubts? When I say that These issues of grain must be decided by each Christian's conscience. I take that from verse 5. Look there again. One person considers one day to be above another day. Someone else considers every day to be the same. You remember that's one of the issues of grain in this church. Not this church, but the church that we're reading about. There were those within this local congregation at the church at Rome who thought that one day out of every seven days was set apart and continued to be set apart from the other days. Now, it wouldn't have been this day on which we gather. It would have been yesterday, the Sabbath day, the final day of the week. And though they were believers in Christ, though they didn't count on the Sabbath day and their observation of it to save them, they still thought, because of their background, many of them Jewish in background, that they were bound by the Old Testament laws governing the Sabbath. And they thought it was a day that was above other days and it should be treated differently from other days, that there were things that you could do on other days that you just couldn't do on the Sabbath day. If everyone within that church would have thought that way, it wouldn't have been an issue at all. But it was an issue because everyone in that church did not feel that way. It says as much in verse 5, the part that I've just read, someone else considers every day to be the same. Those within the church that felt this way weren't being irreverent in feeling that way either. To the Christians who felt that the Sabbath under the new covenant was no different than any of the rest of the days of the week, they would have explained it that every day is God's day. 
And every day is a day in which we rest in Him spiritually. And every day is a day that's to be devoted to service of God and worship to God and and considering Him first above everything else. Beyond those two things, though, I don't want you to miss the reason that I've taken you back to verse 5 which is, why am I saying that these issues of gray must be decided by each Christian's conscience? Well, I'm saying that because that's what Paul says here, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to say so. He's brought up this issue of the Sabbath day or or other special days, other festival feast days. He's brought it up. There's not consensus within the church How then must these individual Christians in that church, how then must individual Christians in today's church determine this issue of gray? Well, Paul answers it at the end of verse 5, the last sentence there. Look, each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. That is, if you would have been among those who thought that the Sabbath was to be treated differently, then you must do that from being fully convinced in your own mind that this is the only acceptable way for me to do it before God. On the other hand, if you would have been among that number who thought that the Old Testament Sabbath laws did not apply to the seventh day of the week, or if if we're bringing it to our day, it wouldn't apply to the seventh day. This debate wouldn't anymore. It would apply to this day, right? If you're among those who, who think, let me just bring it down to where all of us can understand it. If you're among those in the congregation this morning that would have no problem with being here in worship and then going fishing this afternoon... You must do that from being fully convinced in your own mind that it's okay for you to do that under God. Verse 23, the last verse in the chapter, says the same thing. Different words, but it says the same thing. And we're going to get to it and do a full treatment of it in the weeks to come, but I I do want to point it out to you and And read it for you for now. It says, but whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats. Now here he's talking about the subject of what's right to eat and not. And when he says whoever doubts stands condemned if he eat it. What he means is if someone doubts whether it was okay to eat what they were about to eat. And they went ahead and ate it. They were condemned of doing something that was wrong. Because his eating, it says, is not from a conviction. Is not from faith that it's okay to do this. And then it says, in everything that is not from a conviction or everything that is not from or of faith is sin. I'm basing this statement of fact that these issues of gray must be decided by each Christian's conscience on the phrase... From verse 5, fully convinced. Fully convinced. 
And that speaks of the conscience. In verse 23, the synonym that's used is the word conviction. How then do we make decisions on these issues of gray? We first of all go to our conscience. And if we are fully convinced in our mind, if we have a conviction about these issues of gray one way or the other, then based on that being fully convinced or based on that conviction, we should not do or we can do whatever's to be done in this issue of gray. If we aren't fully convinced when it comes to these issues of gray, how then should we fall on the issue? Can I give you a word of advice? If you aren't fully convinced one way or another, whether it's right or wrong, then don't do it. Don't do it. Or as the case may be, do it. If we aren't fully convinced, if it's not a conviction that we should, then we should always err on the side of, of caution. We should make decisions on these issues from faith or in faith that this is okay for me or this is not okay for me. Now, when I started this series of messages a few weeks ago when we got to Romans 14 and I started here, and I wasn't surprised by this, in the week and weeks following, I had multiple people begin conversations with me. And many of those conversations went something like this. Those issues that you said could be issues of gray, I don't consider to be an issue of gray at all. It's black and white for me. To which I responded in each case, that is your conscience speaking and therefore you shouldn't do it. Well, their issues weren't quite as important. <laughs> oh, yes, they were. The Sabbath was a big deal. In the early church. As, as foreign as it is to our minds. Meat that was acceptable to eat. Was a huge deal. In the early church. Drinking today has nothing on these issues. Back then. They were big issues. They were divisive issues. And the bigger point. That Paul is making. Is that there always have been. And there always are going to be. People in the body who come down on both sides of the issue or every sides of the issues. Here's the thing about our conscience. Believer, you should never go against your conscience. For that matter, if you're an unbeliever, you shouldn't go against your conscience. Your conscience is again this thing that's been given to you by God. And it's not inerrant. It's not infallible. Our consciences can be deceived and they can be hardened. But the principle biblically is that you shouldn't go against your conscience. Because in many cases, especially for the lost world, that's all that they have. And to go against our conscience as a believer, or even as an unbeliever, is a very damaging thing 
It is to go against what we believe to be wrong or what we believe to be right and to continually violate our conscience renders our conscience much less powerful. Or in some cases, it renders the person's conscience inoperable. It'd be like a a callus that comes over a cut or a scrape or a sore that you get. That callus comes and it gets harder and it gets harder and if you use that hand where that callus is and you keep using it, it's harder and it gets harder and before long it has no sensitivity whatsoever, does it? That's the way it works with our conscience. If we go against that conscience, layer after layer of hardness and callus develops and pretty soon that conscience isn't sensitive to anything and that is bad, it's just as bad as a conscience that is sensitive to everything. Maybe even worse. I said at some point in this, these last few weeks that in every case, what is sin for me may not be sin for you. Now there are, are some cases, many cases, where sin is sin. If it's sin for one, it's sin for everyone. But on these issues of gray, that's not the case. The true wrong of violating our conscience is that we end up doing what we already to believe, what we already believe on the inside is wrong. And that's the very definition of wrong. If you think it's wrong and you do it, it is a sin for you. If I think it's wrong and I do it, or on the other hand, if I think it's right and I don't do it, it is a sin for me. I know it's a sin because the scripture says so. I also know it's a sin and so do you if we think about it. Because when we violate our conscience, what happens? We feel guilty, don't we? Our enjoyment of the thing that we're doing or the thing that we're not doing isn't nearly as enjoyable because we're guilty and guilt is produced as the result of sin, at least something that we would consider to be sin. And then after that sin comes shame. Don't go against your conscience, believer. Because it would make it sin for you. Go back with me for a moment to some of the things in that opening message in this series, in this chapter that we did that we considered to be, or at least I considered to be, issues of gray. Again, I wasn't out that morning to make all of you feel like it's okay for us to do all of those things. Some people took it that way. Now, they did it jokingly, but some people took it that way. Look, I wasn't out to set us all free where we'd be going down to the casino every Saturday night before we got together on Sunday morning to worship. Or where after uh, church services we can get together for drinks and cigars afterwards. That wasn't my point in any of this. I, I didn't say whether they were right or wrong on any of those things. I will tell you this. A number of those things that I mentioned as issues of gray. They're not issues of gray for me either. I could never do 
some of those things because if it isn't God's voice in my head, it's my mother's voice in my head. And I would be completely miserable and feel guilty and ashamed. And so I can't do it. At least I can't do it and feel like I've gotten away with it. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. On top of this, on top of not going against our own conscience, we ought to be equally careful not to follow another person's conscience. What did it say in verse 5? Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. None of us will be judged in relationship to how we have obeyed or disobeyed another person's conscience. How we have responded to our own, though, will be taken into consideration. You may have a Christian friend who has freedom to do certain things, don't borrow from their freedom. And in doing so, violate your own conscience. Now, one of my buddies in the church asked me over the last few weeks, maybe this week, is it possible for our consciences to change regarding certain issues? And the answer is yes. There are issues that in the past I would have considered to be deal breakers, so to speak. I do not feel that way any longer. And while I I may not have freedom to do some of those things, I also have a freedom to understand that other people can do them in good conscience. Our conscience can be changed as it's informed by Scripture. I mentioned a while ago that our consciences aren't infallible. They're not inerrant. They're always to be scripturally informed. At the end of the day, our conscience isn't the final arbitrator between what's right and what's wrong. Scripture is. The Word of God is. The Spirit of God informing our conscience through these things is to work in that direction. So it may be that another person's freedom leads us to study the subject and the Scripture informs us and we at one point can, can have that same freedom. But we're never simply to do something because another person feels free to do it. That too would damage our conscience. One other thing I want to add here to don't go against your conscience, don't follow another person's conscience, is every one of us better be careful that we aren't seeking to influence another person's conscience to become like our own. Because that would make us guilty of playing God in their life, and we're not. They don't belong to us. They belong to Him. They aren't our slaves. They aren't our servants. They aren't our children, but they are the slave, servants, children of God. If many people, and I've been guilty of this, maybe still am from time to time, if many of us were as zealous for convincing on people's minds the truth of the gospel 
and the real truths of Scripture as we were with convincing other people to feel like we do about these, in the, the grand scheme of things, fairly insignificant issues of gray, then maybe we wouldn't have to spend as much time talking about these things as we do. We're never to impose our conscience, our conviction, our feeling about an issue that Scripture isn't clear about on another. Because by doing so, we may be found guilty of leading another person to sin. It wouldn't be a sin for us, but in imposing our conscience upon their own, we could lead them to violate their own conscience, which would make them sinful, and on top of this, top of that, make us sinful in leading them to be sinful, contributing to their sin. I mentioned earlier that our conscience is the first way that we're to determine what's right and wrong for us on these issues of gray. I said we would get to in the second half of the chapter a second way. When we get there, do you know what that second way is going to be? Stumbling blocks. What does my conscience say? Number two, is this a stumbling block for other believers? And we're not going to go all into that today because that's for the next passage that we're coming to. But I mention it at this point for this reason. If we, by imposing our conscience on another believer's conscience, lead them to sin, we have become biblically a stumbling block. And there are scary warnings in the Scripture to those and about those who are stumbling blocks. These issues of gray must be decided by each Christian's conscience. Now, fact number six. Issues of gray involve people on all sides who serve and belong to the Lord. Now, if you're one of those who checks out every Sunday morning about 10 minutes early, and I'm not talking about checks out physically, but checks out mentally, just come back to us for a little while. Come back to me for a little while. And I want you to hear this because it's as significant when it comes to this issue as anything else that we've said today or in the previous weeks. The entire church of God is blessed by understanding this fact or this truth. Issues of gray involve people on all sides of the issue who serve and belong to the Lord. And I say that this is super important because probably every single one of us has been guilty of not seeing it this way sometimes. For those who differ with us on an issue of gray or issues of gray generally, if we have not said it out loud, many of us have thought that either they aren't a Christian because of the way they feel about this issue of gray, or if they are, they're not the good kind.
But here it again, issues of gray involve people on all sides who serve and belong to the Lord. These issues of gray involve people on all sides who serve the Lord. That's the point of verse 6. Look there. Whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the Lord. What's he talking about? That issue of gray in this early church. If they were bound by certain rules on the Sabbath day, do you know why those genuine believers lived by those rules on the Sabbath day? It was because they felt they were serving God in doing so. It was their way to serve Him based on their understanding of Scripture and their own conscience. On the other hand, it says, Whoever eats, eats for the Lord since he gives thanks to God. Here you have a group from the Freedom Party within this church, and they could eat anything. They could eat everything. They could eat meat. They could eat vegetables. They could even eat the discount meat that was being sold after having been sacrificed to the idols. Do you know why they did it? Because they were celebrating freedom that Jesus had given them. Spiritual freedom. And they thank God for it. It says at the end of verse 6, whoever does not eat it, it's for the Lord that he doesn't eat it. Would you agree? By the same token that those who were eating anything in this church were doing it because of their understanding of their freedom in Christ. On the other hand, there were people in that exact same church who would never eat meat, some of them, nor would some of them eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols and was being sold at a discounted price because that was their understanding of how they were to serve the Lord. In both cases, Paul says, they were doing it because of God. Who was right? Who was wrong? He doesn't say. He just says they were both doing it in service to the Lord. And we must be willing to acknowledge that. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to Him. Now, this isn't the case for everybody that calls themselves a Christian. But for those who are genuinely believers, most of the time, we do what we do and we feel the way that we feel because we're trying to serve the Lord. We may get it wrong. We do get it wrong. Oftentimes. But believers do what they do because they're trying to serve the Lord. They're trying to please Him. Not only do these issues of gray involve people on all sides who serve the Lord, but it involves people on all the sides who belong to the Lord. They're the people of God. Go back to verse 4 that we've already studied before in previous weeks. It says, who are you to criticize another household slave? Well, whose slave are you criticizing? The Lord's slave in this context. Before his own Lord, he stands or falls. It's his Lord. And he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. We want to turn these issues of gray into issues that would make the professing believer fall. But the Lord makes him or her stand in Jesus. They belong to him. Go down to verse 7. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. And that's speaking to the believers. 
We aren't living unto ourself at the end of the day. We're living to God. When our time to die comes, we aren't dying simply for ourselves. We're dying for the Lord. That's what Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians 5, 9. I quoted from a moment ago, whether we are at home or away, that's alive or dead, we make it our aim to be pleasing to Him. Verse 8 says, if we live, we're living for the Lord. If we die, we are dying for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. And that's the case of every believer. Every believer belongs to Him. And these issues of gray do not determine whether one belongs to God or not. Verse 9, Christ died and came to life for this, that He might rule over both the dead and the living. The crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ has vindicated and proven Jesus to be Lord of all. Lord of the living, Lord of the dead, Lord of all. And for those of us believers who are guilty from time to time of making these issues of gray bigger deals than we should, Hear this concluding thought. We are not our brother's Lord. Jesus is Lord enough. Issues of gray involve people on all sides who serve and belong to the Lord. And I've been guilty of failing to acknowledge that far too often. The important thing in all of this is that there are issues of gray. This chapter and this passage has been inspired by God to be written to teach His people how to deal with them. We'll continue to learn about them. Uh, You think we're through with the issues of gray? No, we're just moving to the second part of the chapter about issues of gray. Maybe by Christmas we'll be through. I've said for weeks now that the important thing for us is to do, to apply what we learn. I've also said in every preceding week that while there are issues of gray, there are issues that aren't gray at all, many of them. Many of them. They're black and white. Included among those is the gospel. The gospel is good news. It's the good news that Jesus is Lord and Savior. In light of the context of this passage, aren't you glad that Jesus is Lord, not our brothers and sisters in Christ? Let's turn it around and look in the mirror. Aren't you glad that Jesus is Lord, not me? The good news is that Jesus is Lord and Savior. The good news is that he's lived a perfect life that was significant because God demands of anyone that they be like him to get to him. And that's perfect. And in living his perfect life, Jesus satisfied the just demands of a holy God. 
The good news is that Jesus has died on the cross to take the punishment for sinners just like us, and he paid that debt in full. The good news is that Jesus has risen from the grave to conquer death. And this is good news because we are sinners, every single one of us, born in sin, and then become sinners by our own actions, we have failed to live up to God's standards. We all disobey God in more ways than we're even aware of. And because we're sinners, we need a Savior, don't we? We need someone to forgive us for our sins, to provide forgiveness. We need eternal life because we're dead in our spirit and our sin. We need eternal life because we want a life, the life of God, life with Him forever. This is good news because we need to be right with God and in our sin we're not. It's good news because Jesus has done what we can't do and that's live up to God's standards. It's good news because we don't want to take God's punishment for our sins. No one in their right mind would. Jesus has. It's good news because we can't defeat death, but Jesus has. And it's good news for everyone that will turn from their sin and believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior, that He's their Lord and Savior, and that He's done all of this for them. So I ask you this morning, have you turned from your sin and trusted on Jesus to save you? Are you turning from your sins and trusting on Jesus to save you? If you have not, if you are not, hear the word of God today. Hear the good news of the gospel today. And come to Jesus. And believer, as we sort out how to deal with all these issues of gray, let's keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing isn't any of these issues of gray. It's Jesus and his truth and his gospel. And let's keep repenting and let's keep believing on him for salvation.